The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. And also, if you want to improve yourself as a human, as a thinker, and those around you, Try Sanitas Radio. Go to sanitasradio.com and sample it. Take a listen. You won't regret it. And now, folks, we are in September. As you know, I'm a an optimist. There are many, many news out there. A lot of information coming about September, Shemitah, financial collapse, false flags, you name it. All we can do is dissect the facts and remain positive but at the same time observant and awake and for that reason I'm glad to bring back my friend Ole Damigard he's an award winning author investigator musician artist painter former journalist and much more for more than 20 years he has worked very hard to expose some of the biggest conspiracies around the world something that has turned out to be very very dangerous for him his website, lightonconspiracies.com. And directly from Estepona, southern Spain, I'm glad to welcome my friend Ole Damigord back to Veritas. Hello, Ole, and welcome back. Thank you so much, Mel. It's a, a real honor and pleasure to be back. Well, false flags, psyops, and media fakery. This seems to be, these words seem to be prevalent these days. But you and I spoke a few days ago, and you said that you had something very important. You recently visited Norway, and I want to hear all about it. What happened? Uh, I just want to say that I've spent some, it's actually more than 30 years now, on trying to find the real truth behind uh, top political assassinations globally, as well as false flag terrorism. Uh, uh, because this, these false flag operations are one of the major tools that have been used against us normal people for many, many years, actually decades and generations. And so I th think that it's extremely important to find out for, for the, the person in the street how these things are carried out so that you can be able to spot them. And by spotting them, uh, we might even be able to stop them before they even uh, happen. So... Uh, a false flag operation, it's, it's based on an old Roman template called problem, reaction, solution. 
it is uh, built for um, the idea that an elite few, a small group of people that have elected themselves as uh, better than the rest of us, uh, that when they say that we want to be the people that uh, rule over this empire or over all of these thousands of you, how are we going to do it? And the, the tool that they use is fear. That's the only thing that can control, can control the masses. So for thousands of years, what they've done is that they created an outer enemy, somebody outside that the population had to fear. And they've done it through problem-reaction-solution. They, the people in power, have secretly created problems in, in nowadays, the, these problems are in the, in the form of mass shootings or terrorist acts, ISIS, bombs, virus scares, uh, uh, these type of things, financial disaster, so on. To freak people out, create a problem secretly to freak us out. So, And the, uh, the reaction they want from us is an emotional, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going down here. I need protection. Please save me, save me. And then we will turn towards the people that we think we have elected to sort out these problems, not understanding that they are actually the ones creating it, saying, please, please save us, save us. And then we will then accept their solution. And their solution is every time a solution that we would never, ever have accepted had it not been for the problem, problem, reaction, solution. And... Nowadays, the solution every single time is that you pay. You, the normal citizen, you pay. You pay with your tax money. You pay with your having to give up your liberties, your human rights, your civil rights. Your, you have to accept more and more surveillance everywhere, microchipping, uh, normal police turning into robocops, uh, martial law, all of these things, all based on the problem. So... Also, uh, the term false flag operation comes from, a, it's an old naval uh, term, and it comes from uh, in the old days when the great empires, uh, Holland, uh, England, Spain, and so on, the old naval uh, empires, when they wanted to invade a small country or just get away with the rape, plunder, and murder, instead of them just doing it, which they could, but then maybe causing problems with the neighboring countries and, and maybe with trade agreements and so on. Instead of doing that, what they did was that they put the enemy's flag on one of their own ships. Then they let their own ship attack themselves so that they were the victim and then saying, oh, my God, we are under attack. We're under attack. And then that would justify them invading and plundering, raping whoever it was that was the target to start with. That is where the term comes from false flag operations. Now, what happened in Norway recently? What I try to do is that uh, I often try to go and be on site, on location, uh, when these awful things happen or afterwards or on anniversaries and so on, to get a more emotional uh, connection with it. Because some of these things are really awful, awful when people are being massacred and so on. And it gives me the drive to keep on, keep on, and also taking the risks that are necessary to solve these things. And uh, on the 22nd of July, 2011, that's more or less exactly four years ago, uh, two very, very awful events uh, took place in, in Norway. Uh, 
uh, only during a very few hours. It was actually 189 minutes in total. And it was uh, an event. It's almost like two different chapters. So if it's okay with you, Mel, that I, I just give the official version sure. of chapter one and chapter two, then it would be easier to go into details afterwards to, to expose at least what I believe is the truth. So uh, the official story is that a man by the name of Anders Bering Breivik, a Norwegian-born uh, 32-year-old blonde uh, guy, was very, very upset because of um, uh, Norway accepting more and more multi-nationalities, uh, people from abroad coming into Norway, and also other uh, issues that he had with uh, the Labour Party in, in Norway. This is the official story. So he got very upset. He was also, he had a Freemasonry background and he got very upset and decided to do, make a statement. And the statement he wanted to do was by blowing up the government building and then go and do a mass killing. So chapter one of this uh, tragedy is that in the afternoon, it was a Friday afternoon on the 22nd of July, about the 3.22, he drove... It's almost identical to the Oklahoma City uh, event, at least that's the scenario, that he f uh, had made a fertilizer bomb, 950 kilos, put it in a rental van, and what he did was he, he drove it up to the government building uh, in central Oslo, parked it on the back of it, right where the entrance is, where the deliveries were made and so on, then left, uh, left the car there, and walked away dressed in a police uniform with a helmet and a, a, what do you call it, plastic shield in front and so He was uh, at that time uh, observed by uh, surveillance cameras taking still photos where you can see that he walks away in this police uniform with a helmet and a pistol in his hand, someone at something else in his left hand. But you cannot see who it is. You can only see one person dressed like that who leaves the vehicle and then walks away. Uh, he's then said to have uh, picked up, he had two cars this day, a small van that he then uh, took and started driving northwest uh, out of Oslo towards a small little island called Utøya, where chapter two will take place. Anyway, a few minutes after he, he left the car there, suddenly it is said to have exploded. And what happened was it was a massive explosion, or at least the damages were absolutely incredible. It is uh, the government building is like 15 story high building and all the windows, the whole facade was blown out as well as on several different uh, buildings uh, in the surroundings. All everything was uh, uh, blown into the uh, center where it, there's sort of a street going in between these buildings. Everything was thrown to, in towards the the center of this and uh, it is said the official story says that eight people were uh, killed by the by the explosion and there, there were several uh, wounded people and so on uh, but the whole area extremely uh, blown out and, and damaged and, and so on there were thousands of windows being blown out and so on that's chapter one chapter two is that he then uh, left towards, uh, he went northwest of Oslo, about a 30-40 minute drive, and came out, it's way out in the countryside, a beautiful area, uh, very idyllic, 
with a heart-shaped island called Utøya. This island is about uh, 600 uh, yards from the mainland. I mean, very close. And uh, there's a small little ferry called MS Turbion uh, that is the only way to cross to, to this little island. Uh, that uh, uh, ferry can take one vehicle or up to 50 passengers standing up. It's a former military uh, ship, you know, one of these... Um, uh, vessels where you had uh, um, army troops that you wanted to take to an, an another to the shore and and invade that uh, beach or whatever. So there are, there are armored sites on it, but it nowadays it's used as a as a ferry. Anyway, so uh, it is said that the, he came uh, to this uh, little ferry. There was uh, at the same time there was a youth camp going on on the island with more than 500 uh, teenagers from different countries, mostly uh, Norway, uh, all members or guests of the Labour Party, the Youth Labour Party, AUF in Norway. And the same morning, the former uh, president or prime minister of Norway, Gro Harlem Brundtland, uh, had been there, spent the whole morning there with the youngsters. She had just left an hour or so before she, uh, the shooting started, she left the island with this ferry. So she left the island and very shortly afterwards, uh, Anders Breivik, uh, Bering Breivik is said to have come there. Uh, he leaves the van, he brings a very heavy bag and he's dressed in a police uniform once again, where uh, the top is said to have been like a, a wetsuit, but with a police emblem on his shoulder. Uh, the... There's one woman on the island who's sort of the leader of the whole place, who's uh, uh, the responsible for taking care of the island, which is owned by the Labour Party. And when she hears that uh, there's a policeman coming because of the bomb things that they, they had heard on the radio and so on, she left with a ferry from the island, went across to the mainland, uh, met up with a police officer and then uh, brought him back to the island. Uh, once he came to the island, uh, the captain of the ferry helps him with a bag, very heavy bag, puts it in a van and then drives it up to the main building and parks it on uh, on the back of the building. At the same time, the police officer, uh, who's, uh, he identifies himself as uh, uh, Martin Nielsen, and he says he's from PST, which is uh, the security police uh, of Norway. He goes up to... Um, the uh, main building together with this woman and also there's a security guard that comes and meet up. They start to talk for a few minutes and then suddenly he just pulls out a gun and kills them both. He executes them uh, both. Uh, when this happened and when the, the teenagers on the island, I mean, there was uh, more than 500, when they started hearing these shooting uh, and started understanding what, that people had actually been shot there, total panic uh, evolved. And they started running in all different directions. At the same time, uh, it is said that Anders uh, Bering Breivik, very cool, very relaxed, just started walking around with a rifle, the exact same rifle, a, Ru a Ruger uh, 14, I believe it was, um, and a Glock, uh, exactly the same weapons as Timothy McVeigh in Oklahoma City uh, is said to have had. He starts walking around on the island, and during more than one hour, just executes teenagers, slaughters them, headshots, killing whoever he sees. 
So they are trying to hide everywhere in buildings, uh, in uh, down on the beach, behind rocks. Uh, some some of them try to swim uh, to the mainland, but he kills a lot of them as well. Uh, he's just standing, uh, standing, uh, practicing shooting on targets almost. At the same time, just very calmly walking around, killing them. While he's doing this, he uh, twice he's on the mobile phone speaking to the police saying that he's ready to um, surrender to this, what he says, the Delta team, that he does that twice. And then in the end, uh, when they finally arrive, uh, they call out his name. The Delta team comes in, a, in small, uh, two small boats, comes to the island and uh, finds him, calls out his name, and he surrenders right away. No shootout, no, no fighting, no nothing. He very... Uh, very relaxed, just gives up his weapon, go down on his knees and uh, gets arrested. It is said that uh, some 69 teenagers were, were killed this day on the, this island. It is the biggest mass murder done by one person since the Second World War. So it's a, it's a very uh, dark world record in, in uh, slaughter absolute slaughter but uh, that was the official story and he's been sentenced for this he's been put away for many many years and in Norway you hear the official story pumped on it's on a weekly basis it's in the newspapers all the time all the time all the time about Breivik 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 he did it he did it he did it and so on well, well if the official story is true and we're going to dissect that tonight When you say many years, see, in the United States, you kill somebody, you either get life in prison or you get the death penalty. But he allegedly killed 77 people, and he's just getting 21 years. The, the rules, I mean, you, li you live in a, in a country that is very extreme when it comes mm -hmm. to prison, uh, prison sentences and, and rules and so on. In, in Sweden, for instance, life in prison is 12 years. That's Sweden. And <laughs> I'm no, sorry to yeah. laugh. I'm sorry to laugh. I, under, I understand. But, you know, when you take a life, you either you spend your whole life in prison or, well, I don't want to go there. I don't. Please go on. No. So um, what I've noticed over the years since this happened, I mean, it's only four years ago, but it's, an, it's a national trauma in Norway. I mean, Norway is such a small country with only like four and a half, five million people, I think. And so everybody was affected by, by this. And uh, No doubt. So one of the things that uh, I found very odd is that no one has really looked into this except for a I only know two freelance journalists that have been digging into this. Uh, one of them is a friend of mine. His name is Hans Gorder. And the other name, uh, man, is a, he's anonymous. He's called Jostemic. I, I don't know his the identity or anything. But these two people have been really digging into it and have been uh, exposing quite a lot on alternative websites and so on. So... The more I learned about this, the more I just felt, oh, my God, something so wrong is going on here. So this is the reason why I wanted to go there on the anniversary. I actually went uh, the days before the anniversary uh, to Norway. And uh, so it was a very uh, strange feeling for me first to be guided around. 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.